So, so today's talk, um, I'm going to be talking about an overview of the Gospels, of all things to talk about um, when I have just kind of one um, message to share. I thought I'd talk about Jesus and the writings about Jesus and his biographies that are contained in the first four books of the New Testament. So for those of you uh, um, who have, d have done Bible study and things like that, uh, why four books, right? <clears throat> four, some critics could say they're, they're uh, incomplete, they uh, uh, contradict each other, but why four? Well, we're going to do a little bit of have fun with word etymology. That is the study of word origins. And we're going to play with that a little bit. And hopefully this will enlighten you and inspire you a little bit about the first four books of the Gospels. Um, a little fun with word etymology is very closely related to the word entomology. Does anybody know what entomology means? Study of? Study of insects, right. Very close to the word etymology, but not entomology. So all of us, when we were 8 to 10 years old, we were all budding entomologists, right? Right, looking with our butterfly kit uh, equipped to look under <clears throat> stones and rocks with our magnifying glass with all the creepy crawlies. How many of you made actual display to bring to school of butterflies, Worms, no, <laughs> Kathy never did that. All of us, well, at least the boys, were budding entomologists, right? But we're not going to do uh, study bugs today. We are going to study word origins, word origins. So, so we're going to start with the Gospels. And even that word... Gospels can be a little confusing, right? What does the gospel, what does, what where does the word gospel come from? Okay. Um, Christians might know it, uh, might know what it means, but for the lay person, the person, a non-religious person, gospel, gospel truth, what is the gospel, a song, what is it? It actually comes from the word Euangelion, euangelion. If we break down the word, you is the root, root word for good, okay? And galion contains a root word for angel, okay? So we all know that angel um, contains, uh, can literally be trans translated a messenger, okay? So euangelion literally means good message, good message. So when you hear the first four books of the Bible contain the gospel, it literally means a good message, okay? A good message. Uh, often when I do a memorial service, I'll break down the word eulogy. We call someone up to give a eulogy, right? Eulogy contains the word you, good, and logi has the word for logos or to speak. So a good speech, or literally to say a good word about this person who's departed. So euangelion, uh, four different accounts. You know, which one's right or, or whatnot? Sometimes the first three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are described as the, as the synoptic 
Gospels. Anybody have any idea what synoptic might mean? I initially thought it was kind of like Coptic, you know, something to do with Egypt, like the Dead Sea Scrolls, but not really. If you break down the word synoptic, syn, S-Y-N, syn, like synthesis, right, together, stitched together, syn, and optic, optic, to see together. That's what synoptic means. So the first three books of the Bible are, are called the synoptic gospels, and these three are meant to be seen together to understand the whole. Okay, so um, this synoptic gospels are written from different perspectives and different backgrounds. Um, they were often they were written for different audiences and have different themes. And interesting, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic gospels. What about John? <clears throat> A full 90% of John's Gospels is not shared with the other three. Interesting, huh? That kind of blew my mind when I did, did this study. A full 90% are not even shared with the other three. So the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels. Okay, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's take a look at Matthew. Let's start with Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and it tends to connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. So uh, Matthew is described as the most Jewish of the Gospels, and so that kind of makes sense. Uh, here's the Old Testament over here, and then the next book is closest, literally, to the Old Testament. So if you want to remember that, Matthew is the most Jewish connects the Old Testament to the New Testament. It fulfills no less than 12 times a kind of fulfillment of prophecy formula where there's a promise, age of promise in the Old Testament of a new Messiah, a new king of Israel to the age of fulfillment. And so Matthew describes these uh, fulfillments of prophecy. Matthew also begins with a long genealogy that describes that this Messiah will become from the line of Abraham and of David and will reign forever with justice and righteousness. Jesus, the new Christ in Matthew, is sometimes described as the new Moses. Many, many parallels with uh, Jesus and Moses. For instance, Moses delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt, but Christ in the New Testament delivers the individual from slavery from sin and death. Let me say that again. Moses delivers Israel from slavery in Egypt, but Jesus de delivers the individual from slavery from sin and death. Although Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish, it also has a universal outlook. It contains the Great Commission, and it's worth reading this uh, together. So I'm going to read out of Matthew 28, 19, if you want to turn there and read with me. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Well, let's read from 16. <clears throat> then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
Then they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Matthew 28, I'm on eight, verse 18 now. Um, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Very famous quote, right? The Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And I love the ending of it. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So I was blessed by... uh, I was blessed by doing uh, this kind of research or the overview of the Gospels and being reminded... that, you know, when we go through difficult times, when we see difficult times in the world, or even that we're going through personally, it's easy to feel kind of distant from God, right? Um, Either we feel distant from God, or God feels distant from us. But being reminded that God says, Jesus says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, really encouraged me that whatever we go through, Good or bad, thick or thin, Jesus is always with us. Definitely worth meditating on and uh, a blessing. Um, Later, we might not get to the book of John. That's 90% not contained in the synoptic gospels. Um, But the beginning of John is very different. The whole book of John is very different. Uh, the John, the first, uh, fir- first words of John kind of tells you this <clears throat> different perspective. He starts it with, in the beginning was the word, right? Reckon to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning. So when John starts describing uh, the biography of Jesus, he comes from a totally different perspective. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, right? And the word was God. And so the word also became flesh, and that points to Jesus. So it points to the fact, uh, an interesting bookend, that uh, the Great Commission, Jesus says, Lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age, kind of now looking forward in our lives, whatever we go through, good and bad. But the book of John kind of reckons that you know what? Jesus was there from the very beginning as well. The beginning of the whole earth, in fact. And even to those verses, even when I formed you, I was there in the beginning. So Jesus spans all of time, all of creation, and promises to be with us always. So for John, Jesus was not just a historical Jesus. It was just not a blip in time in history that we study. But Jesus, in fact, was God and was there in the very beginning. A very comprehensive view 
of who Jesus was. In fact, saying that Jesus, the word, was God, some commentators even say that is most, most possibly the most amazing thing ever said about Jesus, that he was, in fact, God. So we, we see Jesus in the Bible. It gives us a glimpse of who the God of the heavens is. So it's kind of like John kind of blows up the concept of who Jesus was, right? In Judaism, where was God? He was in the temple, right? Where the holy of holies, uh, only the priests could go in there. And so the common people could only worship God from the periphery and through a priest with sacrifices and rituals and whatnot. Here, John kind of blows it up and says, when you see Jesus, you see God. Not only that Jesus, uh, this human form, possessed the power of God himself, but when you look at Jesus, when you study Jesus, you see the character of God, a person, not this mystical, distant, punishing God from the heavens that is impersonal, but you say personal God. Okay, let's move on. Um, if Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels and connects the Old Testament to the New Testament, Mark is kind of the most non-Jewish of the Gospels. So that's kind of easy to remember. Old Testament, Matthew is the most Jewish, and Mark is, becomes the most non-Jewish. and is possibly uh, written to a Gentile, non-Jewish audience and describes Jesus as a servant Messiah, the Son of God who died as a ransom for sinners. It is short, it's to the point, and possibly intended for a Gentile audience, like I said, to encourage its readers to persevere through suffering, as there was a lot of persecutions in the early church under uh, Emperor Nero at that time. And so all those uh, images of persecutions of Christians and the Colosseum, I believe that's uh, that kind of era under uh, Emperor Nero. The gospel of the suffering servant is so prevalent, in fact, it dedicates almost a third of the book to Jesus' sufferings. It's sometimes called the passion gospel with an introduction. Uh, the first part of Mark establishes Christ as the Messiah, Son of God, and it contains more action and power more than words. And in fact, it contains more miracles than all the other Gospels. It establishes the messianic authority of Christ. Mark describes Jesus teaching with authority, casting out demons with authority, he heals the sick with authority. He claims authority to forgive sins, authority over nature by calming the sea, walking on water, feeding the 5,000. And it ends with a confession of Peter. In fact, you are the Messiah. So the Gospels is an interesting study to struggle with. And I invite you to struggle along with me. And um, I've always had a hard time with the book of Mark. 
um, and the, the passion of Christ. Remember when that movie came out? Mel Gibson came out with the passion of Christ and just, you know, hour and a half of Christ's suffering. Basically, that's the book of Mark. I wouldn't be surprised if you do the history what text um, Mel Gibson took his screenplay from. Most likely, the book of Mark because half or more is dedicated to Christ's suffering. And we must admit it is difficult to kind of comprehend the suffering of Christ, right? Difficult to understand that. But as I was uh, mulling over kind of the differences of the books, um, some, some enlightenment um, kind of came from the study. So I want to share some of those with you as well. In fact, I think um, the key to the book of Mark are these three passion predictions. What I mean by passion is Christ's suffering and ultimate death on the cross. So sometimes you would hear, I remember my, 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 uh, my father-in-law, they used to go to the passion play up in, I don't know, somewhere. Um, I, I never really understood why they called it the passion play. You know, when you hear passion play, you're, you're kind of wondering what that is. But it's actually Jesus' suffering up until his death on the cross. And so um, the key to the book of Mark is understanding these passion predictions. And so in Mark uh, 10, 45, uh, you don't have to turn there. You could jot that down if you want as a reference. Mark 10, 45, I'm sorry. Mark 10, 45, it reads, For the, even the Son of Man did not come to serve to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So if, Jesus, if in Matthew, Matthew describes Jesus as the Messiah King of the Jews, kind of this new leader, a savior to rescue and save uh, Israel, and connects the Old Testament prophecies to the New Testament, Mark's good news is that this new king of the Jews, this new leader, is going to present the good news to the Jews and Gentiles through his suffering. Not to conquer, not to come and conquer the Romans to suffer and die, but to conquer sin and death for the individual. And I think this is the difference. Um, the reason why the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus, right? Is because they didn't fit, Jesus didn't fit their concept of king of the Jews, Messiah, the savior of the Jews. You know, they were still thinking like when Moses, they wanted a new Moses. Moses, what? Delivered Israel from the evil empire, Egypt, who was enslaving them, right? And the evil empire at this time was what? The Romans, Romans were uh, uh, the dominant conquering force of the land. And when Jesus comes, a humble servant from um, his hometown of Bethlehem, uh, I think it was even um, Nathaniel, when Nathaniel was called to see this potential Christ, he even says, can anything good come out of Bethlehem? <laughs> it's kind of like the slums, all right? Slum part of town. Um, 
So Jesus comes on a, on a humble servant on a donkey, the king of the Jews. He did not fit the, the political um, construct or image of what they were hoping for or were needing at that time. So I think what the difference, the nugget and jewel of the book of Mark is that Mark describes the true nature of, of what Jesus' purpose was, is to come and suffer and die and to conquer sin and death for us as individuals versus the book of Matthew that establishes Jesus is now the king of the Jews, the new Messiah. And the question was, what kind of savior, what kind of Messiah was he going to be? A political force or this humble servant who ended up suffering and dying? And I think that's the key to Mark. So it's kind of like, you know, even it's, it's hard to understand even ourselves, right, that our king was the suffering servant, right? It's hard to, to swallow that. But um, it's kind of like, even myself, uh, uh, thinking of the Easter stories and things like that, it's easy to kind of gloss over it and, well, let's not think about that. Let's just get to the resurrection, right? Let's get to the good stuff. But studying this, it's almost like uh, a lot of our superhero movies today, like Marvel movies and, and uh, what, DC comic movies. They're, they're always epic battles, what, over good over evil, right? Um, any of you guys watch Stranger Things? Anybody? Yeah? Have you finished the whole thing yet? You have. Okay, don't tell me the end. So I think the importance of Mark, he dedicates a half to a third to Christ's suffering. And I think the most significant part of that is the three days and 24 hours of Jesus' suffering. His 24 hours of his crucifixion and his three days in the tomb. Why is this three days and 24 hours significant? You know, we often gloss over the three days, right? Jesus made reference to it. If you destroy the temple, I'm going to rebuild it in three days. What did he describe about? What was that about? He was talking about himself. If you destroy me in three days, I will build the temple again. So it's kind of like these uh, good versus evil um, themes that we love to see in the movies and it kind of these three days of Jesus in the tomb and his crucifixion it's kind of like the epic finale of uh, Lord of the Rings uh, where or um, what's what's the uh, uh, Black Panther movie where it's, it's like they line up on the left and the right good versus evil and there's this epic clash and the battle goes on for seemingly a long time, right? And the good guys, it almost seems like they're going to be defeated, right? And then it takes you on that roller coaster. And then there's like hope at the end that good conquers overall. That's what I'm anticipating on the, on the finale of Stranger Things. 
It's a two-hour finale. <laughs> they're going to draw it out where the good guys seem like they're going to lose, but hopefully, don't tell the end, good will triumph over evil. This is, I think, the most significant 24 hours and three days in the book of Mark. It's a part of the Bible that I've kind of avoided over, over the years, right? If you're going to read something, you know, we want to read out of the book of Paul. You know, I can do all Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, talking about the love of God. But understanding how these books come together, um, this is interesting to, to, uh, to see the crux of the Jews were looking for a political conqueror, a political savior, but the book of Mark describes that the Son of Man must suffer and die. These, this epic battle, three days and 24 hours, he saves not Israel, but he saves the individual, you and I, from sin and death. That is the crux of Mark. Okay, let's move on to kind of our last book that I'm going to talk about today, and that's Luke. Luke, Dr. Luke, in the first part of his Gospels, he describes his purpose. He says, with this in mind, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know with certainty, the certainty of the things that you have been taught about Jesus. That's Luke's uh, purpose. Luke was a doctor, a physician, and so probably had a very systematic, orderly mind, and he wrote a careful and accurate history of Jesus. And his purpose is so that this Theophilus might know with certainty all the things that were written about Christ. Now, let's get back to a little word, etymology, like we started with. Theophilus. Let's break that person down. As far as history books are concerned, Theophilus, there's no real history of who Theophilus, Theophilus was. You figure a whole book of the Bible, if it's written to a person, there would be some significance to who that person was but there's really no account. And so doing a little word study of the background of who Theophilus was or what that word meant might give us a little clue who the actual book was written for. So if, uh, let's summarize a little bit. If Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels and connects the Old Testament to the New Testament and describes that Jesus was the Messiah, Mark describes Jesus as... Um, the suffering servant meant more for a Gentile audience. Luke, in fact, takes that whole story and is the most inclusive of the writers, where, in fact, Luke wrote two books. Do you guys know what those were? The Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. The Book of Luke says is addressed to Theoph Theophilus and it says in his second book begins the book of Acts. 
And you know the book of Acts is the day of Pentecost after uh, Jesus was resurrected, the Holy Spirit came, and then the gospel went to every tongue and every nation available. So the book of Luke contains many, many stories of Jesus welcoming sinners, tax collectors, uh, the Samaritan, which were half-Jews, the sick and the poor. There's a reversal where God, Jesus, opposes the rich, the mighty, and the powerful. And where the good Samaritan becomes the protagonist, the hero of the story, right? And where a prodigal son finds forgiveness. A tax collector, the lowest of the low. (laughs) Tax collectors never get a good rap in the Bible, right? (laughs) Tax collectors are, uh, was used in the same sentence as sinners or prostitutes and tax collectors. Now, if you're an accountant or do taxes, Things have changed a little bit since biblical times, right? So uh, tax collectors, unfortunately, always get a bad rap in the Bible. But even um, the lost, the outsiders in Luke, in the book of Luke, Jesus established that God loves the lost. God loves the lost and opposes the, the proud. So trying to summarize these Gospels, you know, uh, kind of 1.0, uh, looking at the Gospels, I have a book that, uh, that combines Matthew, Mark, and Luke together into one chronology. I forgot the name of the book, um, but... Nowadays, you guys know what cut and paste is, right, on the computer? Well, you don't really cut and paste on the computer, do you? You highlight, and you click, and you move it around, and you, and you right-click. Um, but back in the day, literally, what people did, they had a manuscript of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they thought, wow, this one covers these stories, and this one doesn't, and this one has these stories, Let's start in the beginning. So they looked chronologically, and they literally cut part of that manuscript and said, okay, this is, this is the order of things, and they cut and paste, and they came together with a comprehensive gospel. That's kind of looking at the synoptic gospels 1.0. That's kind of one way that they looked at them. They thought, they thought uh, the manuscripts were incomplete somehow, so they had to... Uh, be smashed together chronologically. But as we're seeing here, each gospel had a different author who came from a different perspective and had had a different purpose. So summarizing it, um, as I kind of wrap this message up, we approach the gospels, the good news, and, you know, the year 2000 with a little bit of uh, um interesting perspective from our own perspective as we look at the Gospels. This was 2,000 years ago. I think I'll just skip the Old Testament, you know, that's Judaism, right? How how often do we read the Old Testament as a daily devotion? Matthew, as described, connects the Old Testament to the New Testament, so there's going to be a lot of Judaic uh, 
prophecies that are fulfilled describing Jesus as a fulfillment of the prophecies and things like that. And so it's easy to skip over that. Mark, like I said, uh, describes half of the book as a suffering servant. It's easy to skip over that, and we want to get to the resurrection, and we spend a lot of our time in Philippians and uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, the Gentile church, and how to live and love one another. It's easy to do that. But Mark establishes the messianic uh, authority um, that the kingdom of God, in order for the kingdom to be established, okay, everyone was following Jesus, and we are like those disciples 2,000 years ago. We follow God, and we're looking for what? The kingdom of God, right? Jesus promises to establish the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was established at the cross. The 24 hours and four days when Jesus suffered and died, the Son of Man must suffer and die to usher in the kingdom. So when we are baptized, we what? That's 24 hours and three days. We died to ourselves. In the establishment of the kingdom, are you guys ready for this? Is in your life. It's not the church, the mega church. It's not a political movement. The kingdom of God is when we died with Christ and are raised with Christ. The kingdom of God is established in the individual. The kingdom of God is established in your life and my life. And that's an exciting thing. It's kind of a really flipping the script on what we think religion is or the coming Messiah or the king that we worship and God's glory. God's glory is seen in you and I. That's exciting. I don't know about you, but that's exciting to contemplate, to think. And that's kind of uh, what I got out of laboring over studying these things. At first, I was just kind of looking mechanically. Okay, Matthew is different than Mark in this way. Mark's different from Luke in this way. He had a different audience. Uh, Luke, Luke was the only Gentile to write to travel with Jesus. The other ones were Jews. All these little differences, little nitpicky things. But the theme I want to close on, Matthew fulfills the Old Testament and establishes Jesus is going to be the Savior, the Messiah, the King of the Jews. And then in that context, Old Testament Matthew, the question is, what kind, big question mark, what kind of Messiah is he going to be? What is the kingdom going to look like? Remember the disciples around the, uh, the Last Supper? What did they do? Ask silly questions like, hey, who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? It's going to be is it going to be this disciple or that disciple? You know, is he going to be a chief? Is he going to be a sergeant? Is he going to be a general? Who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? And as I was uh, praying over this message, it kind of came to me. When we look at the Gospels, things are summarized. You don't have the cross anymore, do you? But as you... As you look at symbols of the cross, there's what? Not one cross. There's three. 
when Jesus was crucified, there was Jesus in between two thieves. And I think it all comes down to that little conversation that they had. And go, go ahead and go back and read it. One thief said what? He mocked Jesus. He came from a, area, a perspective of not understanding. He came from a perspective of Jesus was going to be a political king, right? Jesus, if you're so great, if you're king of the Jews, jump down and save yourself, if not all of us. Let me see if you are the king of the Jews. Save yourself. And what did the other thief say? He rebuked the other thief and said, we're all sinners. You're a sinner. We're on this cross because we're sinners. We broke the law. But he said, but this man, Jesus, he's sinless. He understood Jesus' purpose. And what did he say? Jesus, when you establish your kingdom, remember me. And this was the understanding of what the new kingdom was going to be about. He knew Jesus was going to die. He knew all three of them were going to die. And what is Jesus' response? Tomorrow you will be with me in paradise. Jesus describes what the new kingdom was going to be like. He establishes the kingdom and to conquer sin and death for the individual, for that individual on the cross. And that's you and I. So, thank you for your kind attention. Um, I'm going to close with a poem. I shared with you that the gospel is kind of centered in on the book of Mark and Jesus' passion and suffering. He wasn't going to be a political savior, but he's going to usher in the kingdom in the individual like you and I. So back in the day, there used to be a poster it's great seeing all of old friends and reminiscing of what we used to look like and what people look like now. <laughs> Remember that poem that was on the poster called Footprints? Right? Footprints. Um, I forgot to pull it up, but I think I can recall it from memory. Uh, a person had a dream that they were walking along with the Lord on a beach. And as they were walking along, images of their lives kind of flashed from their memory like a picture book. And then the person noticed, Lord, in those times in my lowest and most trial times in my lives, there's only one set of footprints. Why would you leave me? And Jesus answers, in those times where you see one set of footprints, it is those times where I carried you. Those times when I carried you. So Jesus calls us to go therefore and make disciples, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I promise I will be with you even to the end of the age. So let's close in prayer. God, we thank you for your word your revelation to us that we could labor over, that we could try to struggle with these four books of the Bible that seemingly are so different, but seen together synoptically, we can understand, God, 
that Jesus came, not a blip in time, but like the Apostle John said, in the beginning was Jesus. And in the beginning of the whole world of creation, in the beginning of my creation, God was there. Jesus was there. And Jesus needed to suffer and die, even though that's incomprehensible, Lord. My finite mind can't get my mind around it. But Jesus, in order to usher in your kingdom of glory, Jesus suffered and died. And Lord, I, having faith in Christ, being buried with Christ for my sin, for the sin of the world, for the imperfection of my life, God, is raised again and the kingdom of God is established, not in a nation, Lord, not in America, but in individuals, in me. So God, for those that are present with me today, if we would affirm just by acknowledging in our heart or simply raising our hand that, yes, I have died with Christ. All my imperfection, all my past, all my present, all my future imperfections, Lord, I give to you that you have conquered. You have the love, compassion, and power to win that epic battle over good and evil, all the evil in the world, and even in my life, to squash it. And I align myself with you with the hope to be raised, that your kingdom would be established in my life. And all these things, all the saints said together. Amen.